Look, look, said the voice of the bear. It can't talk. It has forgotten how to talk. It has gone back to being a dumb beast. Look at its face. Everyone saw that it was true, and then the greatest terror of all fell upon those Narnians, for every one of them had been taught, when only a chick or a puppy or a cub, how Aslan at the beginning of the world had turned the beasts of Narnia into talking beasts, and warned them if they weren't good, they might one day be turned back again and be like the poor, witless animals one meets in other countries. And now it is coming upon us, they moaned. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the seventh book in the series, The Last Battle. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on to tangents into other stories that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give any spoiler warnings if there's anything crazy. But today we're discussing the last book, The Last Battle, Chapter 10, Who Will Go Into the Stable? Who's going to go? Who's going to be Chase? Who wants to go? It's a good time. Everyone, no one, a cat, you know, who knows? But Chase, I'd love to... Love to give us a summary real quick. Sounds great. Let's do it. As they hit, Jewel the unicorn whispered into Jill's ear, and Jill proceeded to crawl back and cut the remaining cords holding the lion skin onto Puzzle and shoved the skin into the bushes, since now that the ape had spoiled their plan, it would be no use for him to get caught wearing it. They then heard Shift the ape continuing to speak to the crowd, saying that Aslan Tashlan, uh, say that four times fast, was even more angry than the donkey had been impersonating him so he would not be coming out of the stable anymore. At this, a yell from the crowd came, saying that the ape had never had an Aslan in the stable. It had been the donkey the whole time. Though they couldn't see, they guessed this was the dwarves. At this, Rashida Tarkin yelled out that they should listen to Shift about the real Tashlan being in the stable. But the dwarves mocked them both, saying they should show them what's in the stable and prove it. There was more yelling and arguing, but Shift yelled out that anyone who likes may see Tashlan, but he would no longer be coming out to see them. If they want to see Tashlan, they must go into the stable and see him themselves. And at first, many of the animals celebrated, saying that that's what they wanted the whole time, to go in and see him face-to-face and talk like they used to. But as they began to respond in this way, Schiff said, not so fast. He said they could only go in one at a time, and said Tashlan had been licking his lips a lot since eating that king the other day, and he was very angry. Schiff then began taunting the dwarves in the crowd about who was willing to go in now. And Tyrion and the group whispered to one another about whether the beast they had seen earlier, Tash himself, was now in the stable. As the crowd murmured about who would go in the stable, Ginger the cat spoke up and said he would enter. Cool as a cucumber, he strutted across and went in, but then let out a frightening scream and barreled back, knocking over Shift in the process. The cat continued to cry and make noises, and the captain yelled over to be quiet, that a talking beast should be able to control itself a little. But as Ginger continued to make noises, they realized that he could no longer talk. The encounter in the stable had reduced him back to a normal animal. Ginger disappeared up a tree, and no one ever saw him again. And the other animals cried out to Shift to spare them. Next one, the countermean soldiers cried out to the Tarkin to let him go into the stable. The Tarkin said no, and the old soldier asked why, since the Tarkin had agreed that with Shift that Aslan and their Tash are one. More mocking came from the dwarves about letting him in, and the Tarkin said boy's blood was not the boy's blood was not on his hands. The boy went in, and then after a few moments, fell back out dead. Tyrion and the group being hidden could. Uh, closer could see what the crowd could not, that the body was not the one of the boy who had gone in, but an older, shorter, and thicker man with a beard. Next, the Tarkin uh, started to try to force another beast into the stable, and seeing this, Tyrion and the others prepare their weapons, and they jumped in to join the fight. And 
What a chapter. What a chapter. Some stuff happens, Chase. Some stuff happens. C.S. Lewis is kind of on one in this chapter. He really takes some swings. Uh, he, he does some stuff, Chase. A lot of references to biblical stories, but not in ways that actually have any of the meaning of those biblical stories. It's uh, some, some very particular references and wording in this chapter that we can't even say on this, on this family-friendly podcast. And it's, it's one of those things where, like, we, we talked about this a little bit off pod, but we, there, like, before this, and in this book, and, and in a few of the other books re- regarding the Calermines, we've had, you know, inferences to racial discrimination and things like that. This is, this is a chapter that, like, legit just has racial slurs, and it's, it's tough. Like, I don't even, I feel like we need to, like, describe, like, at least say what it is. I don't feel that way, but, you, you know. Okay, we don't have to. Yeah. If you've read the chapter, you know what it is. And it it's tough because it's the dwarves calling the Calermines a name and referring to them as such. Yeah, I mean, they're calling them by the color of their skin, essentially. And it's just not not great. Which, it's not like celebrated but it's not great it's not necessary um it is it's rough and like we you know we want to acknowledge like this is it we're not avoiding this because we don't want to like deal with tough stuff but we also we just don't want to propagate things and like it feels it feels like we are going to be diving into a conversation that I don't think we can handle well right now and like yeah so I think we're just generally going to avoid those lines in the chapter as part of our discussion other than up here up top just totally. acknowledging that it's part of this chapter it's something that we aren't aren't excited about as part of this chapter and uh, one of the difficult things that you run into, as we've said many times in this book, of something made in the 50s uh, with a different ethic that we can look back on now and say that we're not a fan of not and don't think should be propagated. Totally. But as we dive into the chapter as a whole, I, it's such a weird way for this to start because, you know, if you remember from last time, you see them like being like, well, crap, what do we do with Puzzle now that he's dressed in lion skin? And, like, it just starts with, like, Jewel the Unicorn getting so close to, like, Jill's ear and, like, whispering and tickling in it. And it's, like, this is a horse just being, like, like, right in her ear. Yeah. And it's, like, being, like, hey, you should cut the stuff off of Puzzle's, like, back and just get rid of the skin. Why didn't they just... What I don't get is, like, the couple times that this happens in the chapter where, like, someone whispers to another person in this group that's hiding... At no point does he just say, this person whispered these words. Right. He says, Jewel whispered into Jill's ear, and then Jill went and did this thing. Right. So we just kind of have to assume that that's what he was whispering. But at that point, why did did he need to whisper it? Why didn't he just say, well, we should cut Puzzle out of the skin because this will do no good now? Or why not just have Jill think to herself, well, it would probably be smart to go ahead and take this lion's off. We as the reader can infer that they're not going to be found out because they're hiding, you know, like... Yeah. But 
whatevs. But they, you know, cut the, the lion skin off of Puzzle, and we come upon, you know, the, the Narnians, like, hearing Shift talk more and more about how angry Tashlan is, and he keeps mistaking Aslan Tashlan, like, showing that he's clearly, like, bungling all of this. Yeah, he's like, really flying out of the seat of his pants. Uh, he is. He, he gets it back. Don't worry, audience. He he's, gets it he's back. A, he's still clever, you know. He, he knows how to make a he knows how to make a lot out of nothing. But he's gonna, you know, he's talking and people are starting to like go, this is bogus. Like you probably never even had Aslan in the first place. You probably had the donkey with the lion skin. And he's like, Me? How dare you? Like, and you know, the dwarves start like chiming in, basically being like, Y'all are fake. Show us what's in there. Like, how dare you? You know? Yeah. And then the Tarkin captain is just yelling in the background, No, listen to him. He's for real. He's the real he's the real thing. The Tarkin is giving a lot of like angry dad at a football game re- vibes where he's just like he's just yelling things as like, dude, like, do you think this is helpful? Like necessary like you're just you're just angry and just yelling. Yeah. But their uh, their methods are different. Their methods are different, you know. Uh and then, you know, Shift pulls this like really good card. He's like, Oh, like I never said you couldn't see him. You just you know, you just got to go into the stable. And they're like, oh, great. Like, that's what we wanted. And he's like, hold on. He pulls a Lee Corso and he's like, not so fast. Uh, and he, he's like, all right, like, you, you have to go in one at a time, which is like, it's, it's the most clear trap that, like, you could be setting up where it's like, oh, you know, you could go see him, but it has to be one at a time in this enclosed space. And don't, like, get mad at me if you end up being murdered. Yeah. It, which, like, it's such an interesting thing because at the beginning, the news that they can go in to see Aslan is great news. Like, they're very excited about it. And, I mean, there's a very, like, direct, like, exodus, tent of meeting. Like, we can go mm-hmm. in and meet with God face to face. Like, reference there of what the Narnians have been longing for, of what they've been wishing that Aslan would do the whole time. And... Shift is kind of having to dance around it and and really work on his feet to be like, oh no, you shouldn't want to go in though. Like, right. he's actually really angry. He wants to eat you. He's been licking his lips a lot. Remember that king that he ate whole? Like I told you that happened. Like that's definitely a thing. Like he's really he's really in the mood. And, right. Uh, like he's really trying to instill fear rather than like longing for the experience of Aslan. Totally. And you you get a you know a whiff of the plan and they'll explain it a little bit more in, in the later chapters when we dis- we we find out kind of what happened in the stable itself. But what we end up seeing here is like kind of the the result of like, hey, when you mess with evil, like you are going to ultimately reap those, you know, consequences. And because like the original plan, it's like it's funny because the the good guys are going like, I wonder what's actually in there. And they're probably like, Well, it's probably two calor means with swords drawn, ready to attack who goes in, which is exactly what it is. And like that's exactly what was supposed to happen. And then it's like what ends up being the case is clearly something very different. And it's like, well, yeah, you you know, you've been calling upon some like evil stuff you're going to reap the evil consequences. Yeah. 
which I mean, I haven't read ahead yet, so I don't actually know <laughs> where I that will, goes. I will refrain from any further spoilers there, you know, but it's clear to see, right? Like you, you see what happens because um, Ginger, the cat, is like in on this plan where he's like, well, I'll go in and prove that it's okay. And you can see that like Ginger, Rashida Tarkin, and Shift all have this idea. It's like, okay, cool. Like Ginger will go in and come out and it'll be fine. And he'll say something where like, oh, here's some new word of Tashland kind of thing. And if anyone else goes in, that they would be put to death. Like, and, and there's there's a clear like, hey, like the cat did not expect to be like whatever happened to happen. And it's a terrifying spot. demon monster with a bunch of arms. Right. He wasn't expecting to like, you know, be turned back into a dumb beast as opposed to a talking animal. And so it, it, you start seeing the like plan unfold and, and things kind of start to unravel where you go, okay, hold on. This is not what happened. This is not what's supposed to go in. Because like we said, Ginger's supposed to go in and come out and proclaim a word of Tash. But Chase, when he returns, he does not, sp- the, the, the noises he makes are slightly different. Well, he just- makes a lot of noises at various points in various times. Yeah, Chase. Uh, I'm just curious. Do you know how, like, what what he sounded like when he when he exited? I mean, Kel, I don't know if you have any neighbors who have cats, but I have several. <laughs> and you know, sometimes at night during certain parts of the year, you just hear things. You hear things coming from outside. Things that we don't, again, family friendly podcast, aren't able to describe. But just verify. Uh, I am going to read. Really, I'm going to read this section because this is so absurd. Because what happens is Ginger goes in and then almost immediately bolts out like a ginger-colored streak of lightning. Describes C.S. Lewis knocks over Shift by and screams like I I like whatever. And it's a good interpretation of those letters. It, it's A-I-I-A-I-A-O-U-W-E-E. So, like, it, it felt right to me. And C.S. Lewis describes this sound as the most horrible caterwaul you ever heard made everyone jump. You have been wakened yourself by cats quarreling or making love on the roof in the middle of the night. You know the sound. This was worse. C.S. <laughs> Lewis really wants to paint some some images for his audience this is this is a choice that was made <laughs> again he, to. he didn't have to but this one i have us. never been more certain than this chapter that c.s lewis does not have an editor <laughs> this there is no one proofreading these books before they go on the shelves and we still have them today there's like a there's a great tiktok lady who she she's like her her shtick is like PR for like people doing random things. It's like random celebrities who keep saying like putting their foot in their mouth or doing things. Where it's like, why would you do that? And like, I feel like this is one of those things where it's like this could be a great TikTok series of like C.S. Lewis's editor being like, "Are you sure you want to make use the phrase like two cats making love on the roof?" Um, that okay, you're you're set on that. That's a that's a thing that you have to have in there. Okay, all right. Which this actually does bring up a question that I had during this chapter, which is, is this still a children's book? And it's, 
I feel like you're you're getting into the conversation of like later Harry Potter books, right? Where like the subject matter gets darker and like you're supposed to kind of grow with the characters. Yeah, but like J.K. Rowling's writing style it's still also like develops in a way that totally. increases in complexity and like plot thickness and like she expects more of her readers as the characters get older. And that's one of like the really cool like journeys that those books take you on. This hasn't like changed in complexity. And if anything, there's less plot than ever. It's that he has just ceased to like give us things presented in a way that are accessible to children. Mm-hmm. And I'm really I don't know. I don't. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't cats making love on the roof. Um, it's it's definitely way more adult subject matter, and nothing inappropriate. Obviously, he's not like you know describing the act of the cats making love, but like not just that reference, but also like when you look at how much death and like visible death is in this book. Uh, comparative to like things happening off screen or off page in the previous books. Like there's a lot of stuff where you go, man, like this is, this is heavy. And I don't know if a kid would be able to understand nor like really appreciate a lot of these things without just being like, wow, this is scary and intense stuff. Yeah. It's, it just feels like this book is more for him than for his audience. Right, and maybe it is. Maybe this is his way of kind of like finishing it on a note where like, hey, here's here's some of my theology. Here's some like end of the world stuff and like eschatology. But like, there's no way I can do this that is like super kid friendly. So I'm going to do it as well as I can. Like it'll be in the setting of Narnia with familiar characters, but I still have to deal with this. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I've had this thought at a few points in this book because it really just like veers away from kind of the selling point of the series in a way that like the previous book uh, in in writing order, Magician's Nephew, like is really like does a great job of balancing the like classic children's fantasy entering into a new space exploring magic like realization of a greater world in a way that i feel like is very in line with the series and then totally. this feels like very like let's have some obscure uh, revelation references mixed in with some demon stuff mixed in with all of our characters and world being right. destroyed we're not getting as much adventure and like as we would in the previous books, it's kind of just like things things are happening, and we have to describe theological principles in the midst of this like really brief flash in the pan, like coup of Aslan and of Narnia, you know, yeah. where it's like before you'd go like, man, we're going to this place to do this thing, and then we'll return to Earth. It's like this is a very different structure than everything else. Which we've really only traveled to two places in this whole book. Right. And we've been at the stable and in like the little area around the stable. And then we've been in the woods nearby the stable where our characters are hiding. Like, right. it really hasn't been 
it's a small space for now. And, and it's, it is very different from the rest of his books and whether you, you know, that could be good, that could be bad, but it is definitely a choice, right? It's definitely very different in feel than the rest of Narnia. You can tell that he is like, there is bringing to conclusion with this book. Yeah. He doesn't want there to be any room for him to have to write a single more word about. about no Narnia. more Narnia. <laughs> and just but, to make sure, just to rub it in. And and on that note, right, we, we come to kind of the, the quote that we talked about at the beginning of the chapter where the rest of the beasts are now observing things and going like, oh, the, you know, the, the children's stories that we heard. And you may, I'm glad you mentioned Magician's Nephew because though that was several years ago for us, it was the previous book released, right? The most recent one in, you know, real world time. And they going, still got the myth wrong in this they book. Still, Right. And and it shows you like I, I think that's almost intentional. Yeah, I think that one is hard. Where it's like they go, Oh, like everyone's taught be good or else you could be turned back into a dumb beast. And it's like that's actually not the point. And that's not what Aslan said, right? It's like faithfulness, you know. Yeah. But I mean that really falls into line with the like not a tame lion, like word of mouth, uh yeah version of how things change over history in this in this book right it's aslan has become much more of a figure of like upholding morality than it than he has been like the person to love and cherish which is an interesting commentary on christianity in itself definitely and like when you're like how often you know is like oh we think about the end of the world and or like you're, you know, where are you going to go eventually in the response that you've been given or that's kind of implied is like, hey, you just be good enough. Right. Like just do the right things and it'll be OK. And instead being like, no, but like, do you do you know Aslan? Do you know Jesus? Do you love them? Right. Like it's as opposed to being like, well, I just, you know, be a good talking animal and, and I'll make sure that I never, you know, like like eat your vegetables and, and make sure you. You know, look both ways not, before you cross the street. Better not like boys or shopping. Yeah, just don't I'll do it. I'll tell you what. <laughs> like, I'll tell you what. Like, and so you you go into this like ability of like, hey, we want to do what is like good, as opposed to like, do you love Aslan for the sake of loving Aslan and like follow him and being faithful because he is good. You know, uh, I just I thought that was a super interesting like, and he doesn't really even dive into that commentary. Yeah. Well, and that's something that really has been surprising through the whole journey of these books is a lot of those like truly theological like little portraits that he puts into the book are not commented on. Like yeah. it's always just like a hand wave, like a brief moment where he just mentions something that if you stop and think about it is like, oh, yeah, that's actually a thing that's worth our time. Right thinking about but he never yeah. has his characters stop to think about those things or comment right. on those things which is part of the fun of it and then also sometimes part of the <laughs> stuff that's just like a little disappointing in some ways of like well man i wish you said more about that and less about cats and then he's gonna spend several pages on emeth the yeah. the tarkin or, or the not the tarkin the uh, the Calamine who is the faithful, obedient soldier 
who has been, you know, devoted to Tash. And like, he spends so much time on this point of theology and on this like metaphor that you're like, okay, you're stretching a little bit here, buddy. And like, well, this is kind of where that starts, right? This is where where this book is going to start getting a little wonky theologically. If you you want, you know, spoiler alerts for what is to come theologically for, you know, C.S. Lewis and at the end, skip forward a few minutes. But this is the beginning of C.S. Lewis's uh, venture into universalism because you start, like, this guy, Emmeth, comes forward and he is a calamine and so Rashida Tarkin is like, bro, get out of here. This isn't for you. And he's like, but, like, you said that Tash and Aslan are one and I love Tash. I've been devoted to him my whole life. I've been faithful. And if they are the same, then I want to meet him. I want to speak. Like there is no greater honor that I could have than dying at the hands of Tash when I've loved and served him for so long. And they're like, dude, be cool. This is for the Narnians. And he's like, well, if like you, like, is it untrue what you said that like Tash and Aslan are one? And he's like, well, of course it is. Then everyone else starts joining in being like, then let him go in. If they're all the same, why are you only having the Narnians do it? Because then it feels like a trap. And it's really, and like, it's compounded by the fact that while this is happening, C.S. Lewis has his characters, like Tyrion is off the side Mm -hmm. of man, I almost wish I had this kid on our side. Right. He's just like, so faithful. He's so faithful. He's he's worthy of a better God than Tash. And this is setting up, again, spoiler heavy here, right, of going like, this is setting up this eventual idea that like, hey, as long as you were faithful and good, then your service was to, Ash, to, was to Aslan. Yeah. The, I think the line later in the book is anything good done in service of Tash was done in service of Aslan. And that's just not how that works like there's an element of common grace of like yeah like any good done in the world that is in line with god's like will yeah it's a manifestation of like the mercy and grace that he allows that to continue even though we're corrupted by sin but that doesn't mean that those things are done in right in righteous worship totally worship is a posture not necessarily an act it manifests in acts but it is the act itself it's the posture of heart directed towards the correct right object we can't do good outside of ourselves like inside of ourselves like it is god in us who works good you know and so give a homeless person a dollar out of like like righteous, like service and mercy extended from a heart devoted to Jesus, or I could give a person a dollar because I want to look good in front of my friends who I'm with. Right. One I don't want to feel guilty by worship. It. One of those things is an act of corrupted pride. Totally. And he is setting the stage here for some weird theology that we will have to dive into at a certain point. Um, but what we see here is Emmeth walks in and again, we see the door shut behind him and like everyone, you know, freaks out because the figure in Calamine Arner falls out. And so everyone screams because they assume it's Emmeth 
And like Rashida Tarkin is like this, you know, rash child, like take warning everyone. But then they figure out, wait a minute, this is an older man. This is clearly not Emmett. This is someone else. We we don't know who this is. Yeah. Well, it's weird because like the crowd doesn't figure that out. The crowd right. doesn't know that. We know that because our, our heroes, Tyrion yeah. and, and the gang, see this because they're closer to it where they're hiding. But also, like, it's not addressed or explained or given any context. Right. And again, the story. You, you see this simply as the setup for the future, right? Like, the, and if you remove yourself from the theological implications real quick, if you're just looking at foreshadowing, like, that's a good moment because it's like, wait a minute, what happened to Emmett? Because this is clearly not Emmett. And if I've learned anything from Game of Thrones, no body, no death, right? Like, yeah. And, and so you go, what, what has happened? Like, and so it's setting up, like you will, you should expect to see him at some point down the road, you know? Um, yeah, but it's really confusing, but then like, there's still a dead body here. There's still a dead body. And so that, and that tells us that either there's some teleportation happening or there were other calamans in there. Right. Well, that calamans also died. So right. It was happened. just, he was just a previously dead Calarbeam, you know, they got thrown out. And just so again, you're, you're seeing the, the fulfillment of what was supposed to be the trap, you know? Uh, and, and it shows that like Rashida Tarkin gave a start of surprise when he saw the face of clearly he sees what is true. He knows that this is not Emmeth. Um, but shift being quick on his feet, shifty, some would say, Right. Immediately is like, all right, cool. Like, who's next? You've seen what happens when you go in. Like, you want to, we can start forcing you in there. And I think he's basically at this point where he's like, well, if I can't win, I need to take as many down with me as possible. And I need to, like, like let's just, like, get rid of all of them. And so he's like, hey, we're going to start bringing you in one on one. Who's first? How about you, boar? And the boar is like, no, like, I'll fight till I'm dead. Uh, and this is when finally our heroes decide to reveal themselves at the very end of the chapter where they're like Tyrion is like, all right, everyone swords out or, you know, jewel put, you know, put your, put your horn up, I guess. Yeah. Uh, puzzle stand there. Uh, do what you need to do. It's and a classic C.S. Lewis cliffhanger. They jump out. A classic. Chapter ends. <laughs> where, and he, he jumps out and they're like, Hey, like I'm Tyrion and I'm hearing Aslan's name. That's, you know, Tash is foul and the ape is traitor and the Calamines are worthy of death. And like everyone on my side, would you rather wait to be killed one by one, like by your new masters or, and you know, it doesn't have an or, but the implication is like, where would you rather die fighting? You know? And again, that's how the chapter ends. And it's weird because this is a chapter where it feels like they were doing a bunch of stuff, but really, not a lot happens. Yeah. They were just waiting and listening. They're waiting and listening. Two people, you know, one one animal gets turned back into an animal and one person disappears slash dies. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of yelling. Noises. It's uh that's really yeah, that's really it. And, and we're set for some chapter. Chaos. It's not the most eventful piece of the plot. Right. It's this is this felt like a real big setup chapter where it's like it was him putting a ball on a bunch of different tees and being like, don't worry, I'm going to do something with all of these in a little bit. But first you have to hear like, hey, what's in the stable? 
oh man, what happened to Ginger the cat? Hey, here's Emmeth. You should probably pay attention to him later. And like, you should you know, make sure that things are good. And then here's this other thing. And like, oh, we're about to go into battle. And like, he's just setting the tea up for the rest of the chapter. And that's kind of all that happens. And, and we kind of wait for the next chapters to really dive into what is actually going to happen. Yeah. It's uh do you want to pause now? We can pause. I mean, we have three minutes. I think we could honestly close out. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Action. Yeah. I mean, this chapter, I mean, while it had some interesting parts, it really is a lot of setup. But it's you know what else is a setup, Cal? What? <laughs> to, uh, speaking of, you know, placing balls on T's chase, because nothing else goes on in this chapter, like we're, we're ending here, we deal with some theological issues, but really it's just, you know, setting a ball on the tee. And what we can do right now for you listeners is set the ball on the tee for you to make sure that you're always up to with our new podcast go to apple apple podcast spotify wherever you may listen to your podcast uh you can find us and it'll be awesome uh and then we'd love it you know if you could tee us up for some greater you know uh, awareness you know share it with your friends go like and review us uh, um you know leave five star rating go follow us on instagram at, at the chronicles of podcast uh, and we will be you know promising to to try to be a little bit more you know faithful not leave you guys on cliffhangers as much as uh, you know, C.S. Lewis does to us and, you know, try to record, make sure we're, you know, staying faithful to the gig. Uh, but as we stand, we have, you know, about five, six more chapters, something like that left, Chase. Until yeah, the end we're getting of the close. We're I getting mean, close. My goal is to finish this book by the end of the year. I think we can do it, Chase. I think, I think, I think it's realistic. I think that's realistic. I think we could do it. And, you know, the, the rest of the chapters, like, like the next chapter is called The Pace Quickens. So, you know, hopefully can, that things happen. You, you, can only, you can only hope and pray that the pace does, in fact, quicken. Chase, do you know the sound of two podcasters quarreling and ending a podcast? That's it. <laughs> it's this. You have been wakened yourself by cats quarreling or making love on the roof in the middle of the night. You know the sound. <laughs> I think we should only talk about that today. I don't think really anything else is important. He's like, you know the sound of two cats making love. Oh, you've heard it. <laughs>